right? So, like, every day she comes home with, like, math. And I grew up in Africa, right? Like, yeah, I have African parents, right? And, and so one thing we do very different than y'all here in the West is we memorize everything. Right? Like, that's, like, a very key component to early childhood education. You just memorize stuff. So for me, I learned how to do math in my head. She comes home with this worksheet, and I'm just like, what are y'all doing? Like, this is, like, organic chemistry. Like, we're, like, at least seven years away from this, right? I don't understand this helps me half the time. And I realize that, for me, it's just like, I do it quick in my head. It's not really helping her, right? And so what's fun is to see her engage her own help sheet to figure out, oh, this is what was taught in the school. This is what my teacher taught. This is how it's reinforced, right? And now I can actually use this help sheet to help me. And so what's cool is to see that what was taught to her in school, what was modeled, right? She gets an aid when she goes home, and then that aid helps her do her work. And it's fun to see how she just keeps growing and growing and growing. And so it's from that posture of growth, right? It's that posture of, hey, there might be some things about prayer we don't know. There might be prayer that we pray and we do it all the time, that's what we always done, so we can't think back to the time that we don't know. Uh, or some of us might even need a little help seat, right? And I think when we come to prayer, we come to our pastor this morning, we'll realize that Jesus is going to engage us where we know where we don't know. Jesus is going to engage us to actually have it be a normal thing that we do. But then he's also going to provide us help to Or you could just call it the Holy Spirit. Right? Like Jesus is going to talk about prayer as an invitation for us to grow. Like that's what prayer is, right? An invitation for you to actually grow. Grow in two things, right? Grow in the character or characteristics of God, right? And to grow in confidence before God. And that's what Jesus in this passage wants prayer to be for us, right? How are we growing to become more and more like God, right? And then how are we down here having confidence to go before God? Like that's what prayer is. And so it's a blessing to not just grow in prayer, but one of the things that's kind of cool is to see other people grow not just in their relationship with God, but in their relationship with prayer. Because then you see them become more and more Christ-like. You see them become more and more bold in their prayers, right? You see them grow and understanding what God's values are, what the confidence they have before God is. And then so when we think about prayer, maybe this morning it's just something that you're like, well, I'm a Christian, we kind of do it. I don't know a lot about it. Welcome. It's okay. Or, or maybe you do it all the time, but you don't even think about it, right? You're like, I pray for my meals, I pray for big stuff, it just happens, right? Well, welcome, let's do it. Or, or maybe you're at this place where you just like, I feel like God's calling me to something more. I feel like prayer needs to be more in my life. Well, welcome, because Jesus teaches all of us, no matter where we are in the journey, how to pray. And then he promised us, again, that helps you, which is, again, our Holy Spirit that comes for us and, and lives in us. And, and actually, sometimes through us. And scripture reminds us that the Holy Spirit might have words that we don't even have sometimes that we can go to God before in prayer. Say your Bible, turn me to Luke chapter 11. I'll be reading verses 1 to 13. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Luke 11, starting at verse 1. One day, Jesus praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, he said to pray. This is John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose
told the one inside here to don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though you will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yes, because of your shameless audacity. Or one translation says, yes, because of his desire to protect his good name. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a... Uh, Which one of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will you give him a steak instead of a fish? Or bread, will you give him a stone? Or, if you ask for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you this morning that we are blessed to grow not just in our relationship with you, not just in our understanding with you, but even in our prayer, our conversations with you. So Lord, we come to you this morning, humbly, vulnerably, plainly, saying there's so much we don't know about prayer. There's so much we don't know about how to connect to you. There's so much we don't know about how to have conversation with you. We come to you asking forgiveness for our arrogance for, for not thinking enough about prayer without making it enough of our focus, without making it enough of our, our basis of not just talking with you, but becoming more and more like you. And God, we thank you that all of us in this room are here because of answered prayer. We thank you that all of us in this room are here because of, of righteous and, and faithful and devoted saints who have prayed, not only for us to be here, but for us to come to a saving knowledge of you for us to live a life that's pleasing to you, for us to honor you in how we live, for us to honor you in how we love. Lord, we are all the product of the prayers of righteous people, so we thank you for their witness as well. And so now, Father, as we go into this text, as we go into these scriptures, teach us to pray. Teach us to listen. Teach us to be led by you. The only precious thing. Amen? So we have now officially entered Lent. Lent is the season between Ash Wednesday and Holy Week. Now, for some of us who didn't grow up in churches that celebrate Lent, it sounds very Catholic, right? I had next-door neighbors who were Irish Catholics, and I knew it was Lent because they'd have the Ash Wednesday cross. And then I'm like, oh, they're going to be fasting or something, right? So if I joke about the out what they would be fasting of and see how long they would last. That's just the kind of kid I was, right? If you were fasting on chocolate, I was not. So I would eat chocolate in front of you. I'm not advising this, right? But God doesn't, you know, God gives us piles and temptations. We'll get to that later in the passage, right? But I'm just saying, like, that's the kind of kid I was that I never understood, right? I never understood, like, like, what does this mean? And so I think there's a lot of us who maybe we understand the basis of Lent, right? But for a lot of us, it's just like, well, it's something we kind of do, right? Lent is Catholic, but not Roman Catholic. Yes, it's Catholic in the sense that it's universal, right? It's worldwide. Like, that's what the word Catholic originally meant before the Roman Catholic circuit, right? Catholic meant universal, meaning that this is something that the entire church can hold on to. And what exactly are we holding on to? I think Lent is both an invitation for us to hold on to God and an invitation for God to hold on to us. How do we hold on to God? Well, one way we do is we remember Jesus' past. Right? Remember his 40 days in the wilderness, his 40 days without. 
not just food and water, but the 40 days of isolation. We also remember, though, because we're out of that, that Jesus wasn't just in the wilderness, but there was a time where Jesus, what, marched towards Calvary. Right? Like, there's times time in Scripture, time, time again, the gospel says, what? He set his face towards Jerusalem. So remember that march towards Calvary. And so that's how we hold on to God, remembering that He was in the wilderness too. Remember that He went without. Remembering that He chose, right, to march towards Calvary for our faith. Now, how does God hold on to us? Well, in Lent, we kind of invite ourselves, but we enter into our own personal wilderness, right? Lent is a time where we focus on prayer. It's time we focus on self-denial, where we focus on repenting and, and reconciling. And instead of a march towards Calvary's tree, we take up our own cross and follow Jesus. We think about sacrifice, right? Uh, the, the Greeks have a word called uh, tarmolopi or tarmolipi. And what that means is it's, it's this deep joy that comes out of deep sadness. And the thinking of Lent is that I, I will not be solemn for solemn sake. I'm not just like walk around like, right? like that's not the point of it. But it's like I'm actually going to take a step back and focus on, for example, what does my sin actually do to the people around me? How have I really hurt the people around me? How have I hurt my relationship with God? What am I doing to actually be faithful? And sometimes in that reflection, we'll find that we fall short. Now, being good Christians, we like that we're forgiven, so we jump over that part, right? We jump over the part where we've actually fallen short. So let's kind of force us to stop and to say, what is the damage I've actually done? Can I start working to repair it? Where am I and why am I so far away? Can I start taking the steps back closer and closer to God? Yes, forgiveness is coming. Yes, Holy Week is coming. Yes, Jesus is going to Calvary too, but what does it mean for me to take up my cross, right? And so in that, before we get to the celebration, we got to go through the, 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 the solemnity, right? we got to go through the sadness. And so in preparation for Holy Week, in this season of Lent, we can do several things. The first one is we do need to look inward. So this is a time, I think, for all of us, and not just going to talk about it in the service this morning, but to focus on our prayer life. What does prayer actually look like for me on a daily basis? What does prayer look like in my faith with God? How am I growing in prayer? How am I growing in confidence that I'm before God with these things that are on my heart? How am I becoming more and more like God by how I pray? These are questions we ask, right? So even when you go to the scripture, like it's time to, to set apart, if it's not part of your normal schedule, to meditate on the scriptures, right? And what I like to do is I have to go to familiar ones, right? Because I'm like, okay, it's easy to meditate when I know what the verse is going to say. That's just me. That's my teaching, right? You do that if you want to. But I like to go to familiar passages. It just reflects on them. Some people are good enough to think about one phrase for a whole day. I just got to get a minute sometimes. Right? If I get a minute, that's a win, right? But then you keep adding on to it. But what does it mean to actually sit on the words that God is saying? So there's this inward focus. And, 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 and I do think, I'm not as bad anymore. I don't eat tough with some people who are fasting, right? But I do think that is another thing that forces us to rely on God, right? It's a, it's a step our life and say, like, okay, what's something that's a privilege I have or something I have access to that I can deny, not just to deny of things, right? But to remind me that nothing has a hold on me as much as I want to have a hold on God. Right? It's, it's to remind me, not to say, oh, it's a sacrifice, but to remind me that like, when I have this need, I can turn to God, I can turn to prayer. So it's an invitation to look inward, but it's also an invitation traditionally as the universal church to look outward. 
And what that means is that in this season, it's not just about how are you and God doing. It's a season to accept your life and say, how am I actually serving my sisters and brothers? What am I actually doing for the people I'm sitting around this room with and worship with? How am I actually living out my faith to help my sister, to help my brother? What am I doing that's not just about me and God, but actually for my sister and brother? How am I submitting to the Holy Spirit? How do I find, right? And this is for a lot of us who are probably in a lot of public settings, a lot of people around, right? How do I find not solitude, but solitude's sake, right? How do I find solitude that's going to be a time spent directly connecting to God? So in this season of busyness, in this season of life, yeah, you're serving your sister and brother, you're looking outward, but even to look outward, sometimes you have to take a step back and say, how do I stay connected to God in this season of busyness? So you look inward, you look outward, and then in the communal sense, you, you kind of look for places to come together to do something. It might be a worship service, right? It might be a, a service project or something. It might be a celebration service. But the idea is, okay, now I've thought about what am I doing in my city. Now I've thought about what I'm doing with my sister and brother. But now I start asking questions like, but what are we actually doing together? That has to be a component of our faith also, right? What are we actually doing together? And so, inward, outward, communal. And then in all these things, right, what we give up must never shadow or overshadow or be greater than who fills us up. And so that, I think, is the part of length, right? It's not just giving up or giving up faith, right? But it's making room for God to come in. It's letting go of things that hold on to us. It's reaching out and expecting God's hand. That's the invitation that Jesus has for us. Or that's the invitation I think Scripture has for us in this season of length. And so one of the ways we engage this season is to pray. And so in Luke 11, we have Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer. Now, what I love about this passage is that, first of all, Jesus modeled prayer for us. Now, it's interesting that, you know, in, in I think all the gospel texts, right, they come to him and say, Lord, teach us how to pray, right? And Jesus says, when you pray, you should say this. Now, I think most of us know that Jesus wants us to, to get the principles here, and to get, like, the deeper meanings of what he's actually asking us, or the, the bigger themes here. But a lot of times for us, especially those of us who grew up in church, we grew up saying these things and become just rote memory. We don't really think about what we're actually saying. So what I love is that in this model prayer, Jesus is not just showing you how to pray, but he's showing you how to pray a little bit differently. In fact, when Jesus came to prayer, he was intentional. I love in the scriptures when Jesus do a miracle, right? Or they want to anoint him a savior right then and there, and he'll be what? You know what? I need solitude. I need time with God. I need to go pray. I love that he's consistent about prayer. He's devoted to prayer. And a reminder for all of us, right, that if we follow Jesus, we also look like Jesus. And one of the ways we can look like Jesus is to be intentional about our prayer life, is to be consistent with our prayer life, is to be devoted to our prayer life. A lot of times in the, in the discussion of people are like, yeah, we want to be like Jesus. And it's like, what does that look like? We don't know. Well, here's one way you can write that to be like Jesus. Be intentional with prayer. Be devoted to prayer. Be consistent with prayer. That's one way you can be like Jesus. And then we get to the passage where Jesus actually teaches us how to pray. What I think is really an invitation into the kingdom, not just an invitation to say the right word. It's an invitation into the kingdom. 
He starts off by saying, remember, God is our Father. What a blessing. What a privilege. What an honor that we get to call the God of this universe our, our Father. Our Father in heaven. The God who oversees everything, who holds everything, is the one we can call out to because he loves us and cares for us like a good father loves and cares for his children. Jesus begins by saying, when you pray, remember our Father. Remember, we're not just talking to someone up in the sky. We're not just talking to someone who has no idea who we are. We're talking to someone who knows us perfectly, loves us perfectly, holds us dearly, will always be on our side. That's who we're talking to, our Father in heaven. And I love this. Remember in Luke, we've been talking, right, about how Luke is almost obsessed with presenting Jesus' kingdom as coming and already here, as heaven already coming and heaven coming down at the same time. So the challenge for us when we say our Father in heaven is to not just think of him and keep him in heaven, but realize that the kingdom has already come. We can proclaim our Father not just in heaven, but also on earth. And I think that's harder for us. Because we tend to look at earth and only see the dark. We tend to look at earth and only see the bad. And so we think of God as far away. Because that's why all the bad is happening down here. But if Luke is right, and if Jesus is right, the kingdom is already here, and the kingdom is coming, then God is not just in heaven, God is also on earth too. Our Father is not just up there, He's down here with us. We can pray confidence and reliance on that, that God is with us. And then He continues, Hallowed or holy be your name. That's an easy one for those of us who grew up in church. God is holy. He's high. He's perfect. The other challenge here isn't saying that God is holy. That's something anyone, right, who follows any kind of faith will probably believe that God is holy. The challenge here is that to the people Jesus is talking to who grew up with his Jewish understanding, the idea that God was holy wasn't just, oh, he's up there holy. It was that God is holy, God has invited us to be holy, and for us to live in a way that doesn't please God is to dishonor the name of God. So when we say holy or hallowed be your name, what we're actually saying in, in the Jewish understanding, at least for the New Testament understanding, isn't oh God is holy. It's more that God is holy and I should be still. I should live in a way that I'm keeping God's name honored. That I'm keeping God's name holy. That I'm bringing honor and glory to my God. So we say hallowed be thy name. It's not to thank you for being holy. God, help me to be holy too. Help us to be holy too. Remember, God is holy and you to be too. Your kingdom come. Some translations add both. It says, your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A reminder to us that again, God's not just up in heaven, he's down here on earth. And not only is God down here on earth, he's working, he's moving. One thing I love about prayer is it's a reminder that I don't see everything. That I not only excuse me, remember I don't know everything, right? But sometimes we become so thinly focused on what's ahead of us that we think that's all there is. There's so much more happening in this world for God's glory than you will ever see. My favorite writer is a, a, a former 
uh, missionary, theologian, world Christianity expert by the name of Andrew Walsh. He used to talk about this elephant analogy, the elephant, or like, the theater analogy. He talked about how no matter how great the show is, no matter how amazing you think it's on, right? You can't see everything. You can't see everything. And he's not talking about like a movie theater where if you sit in the right seat, you get the right angle, you get everything. He's talking about the old classic shows where there's like small characters everywhere running around the stage. And if you're right up front, you miss everything on the side. And if you're to the back, you can't hear everything, right? And so what he challenged us to see is that not only will we not be able to see everything, but we need to be faithful in the things that we can see, and we need each other to get the whole picture. And I love that analogy because it's a reminder to us that God is working and moving in this world, and I'll never be able to see everything, but what I can see, I can be faithful to. But I also need to hear your story, and your story, and your story, because I need your perspective to speak into the show, because I can only see what's going on here. I don't know anything that's going on on that side, so I need you, and you, and you, and that's the beauty of God working and moving. God is not just limited to what I see, praise God. But God's not just limited to what you see either, what you understand either, what you hold dear either. God is working and moving. And to remind and an invitation to us, when we say, your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, it's a reminder to us that God is moving, God is working, and perhaps our job is to be faithful to what he called us to and to see what else he's doing. And then he says, give us each day our daily bread speaking directly about the manna that came down from heaven in the Old Testament. What I love about this is I think it's one of the most challenging parts for most of us here in the West. Because quite honestly, a lot of us in this room, myself, deep among them, don't have to worry about daily bread. We don't have to worry about food. We don't have to worry about hunger. We know where our next 17 meals are coming from. I know some of y'all meal prep. It's beautiful, right? I have friends who are just like, this is what they do on Saturday. I'm like, this is how you know you're getting old, right? Like, they can have fun shopping for furniture and appliances and meal prepping, you know? Like, this is what they do. They map out the whole week, and it's beautiful, right? A lot of us don't have to worry and really, right, need that daily bread. So the question becomes, for all of us then, what is the matter that we need from God? Because it may not be physical food, but it holds in all of our spirits. It holds in all of our stories. It's things that only God can fill us up with. And some of us need that daily. It might be love. It might be compassion. It might be the reminder that you're worth something. You're worth everything to God. It might be a reminder that you're alive, and that's a blessing. It might be a reminder that you're in this person's life to be like to them. What is the daily bread that you need, right, for your sustenance? Because in our setting, it might not be worrying about your next meal. It might be, God, how can you fill me up now? And so I think the challenge in prayer is to come to God vulnerably with those things that we like. With those ways that we fall short, with those things that we're using, because the thing is, we're either going to God to fill us up with things that we need, or we're going to the world 
with no other place. There's no in-between. If you have a deep, deep need, either God is filling it or the world is filling it. That's it. Those are your two options. So if we're not willing to come vulnerably to God with them, we're going to go elsewhere to fill them. And so prayer is an invitation. So what is your daily bread? What is the daily manna that you need? And here's the beautiful thing. There's nothing too little or too big that God can not only handle, but hasn't handled billions of times before. And I jokingly say this by means of all my heart. There's nothing you can close your eyes right now and pray for and God's like, ooh, this is me. Never heard this one before. Just never dealt with this before. This is you just outsmarted me. Ooh, I got to think about this. I'll get back to you. There's nothing, nothing you've gone through that God hasn't taken millions, billions of people through. There's nothing you've struggled with that God hasn't helped billions of people through. But God wants to help you through it. And the way that He can start helping you through it is through your honesty, through your vulnerability. And then He's moved towards us, right? Forgive us our sins. It's interesting in Luke's version that, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Luke takes for granted that we forgive first before we go to God for forgiveness. If you sit down and think about that for a second, that's challenging. Luke is saying, before we even ask God to forgive us, we better have what? Forgiven our sister and our brother and those who help to us those who hurt us, those who harmed us. In fact, the, the Hebrew or the, even the Aramaic and the Greek is this idea of not just sins that doing wrong, but it's those who are indebted to us. There's a sense of jubilee in And so, theoretically, they, they believe theoretically, because we don't think they ever practice it, but theoretically they believe that every 50 years, or in some traditions it would be every 13 years, I think it was, right? And you would forget everything that's indebted to you. Right? If someone moves into your house and didn't pay their mortgage or your rent payment for 13 or 12 years, right? In the 13th year, you got to forgive them. Like, they believe that anything indebted to you, you have to forgive. So I think the challenge for us here is, in prayer, are we going to actually stand confidently before God asking for our own forgiveness if we're not willing to forgive? If we're not willing to forgive? So remember, God forgives and needs you too. And this last part, the fun one, and lead us not into temptation. As a kid, I always struck me weird. So I'm just like, well, I feel like there's a lot of temptation. And I feel like even you're not real, but this birthday is true. Something's not off here. Like, like something doesn't add up. And it took us seminary and some Greek studies to actually enlighten a little bit. The idea here isn't so much, right? that temptations will not come. It's more the idea of when they come, do not sin when you're tempted. It's not temptations will never come because everyone in this room knows that's not true. It's when the temptations do come, are you going to pass the test? When the trials do come, are you going to actually rely and turn to God? When the hard times come, it's easy to follow God when you feel blessed and love and cherish, and everything is going great. When those trials come, are you going to pass the test? And immediately after teaching them these principles of prayer, Jesus gets into a story. 
And I love this because all of these are principles that they probably needed to work out their whole life because we need to work out these principles our whole life, right? What does it mean that God's my father? What does it mean that God's in heaven and on earth? What does it mean that God's holy and I should be too? What does it mean that God's working even if I can't see it? What does it mean that God, whatever I'm lacking, God can fill me daily? What does it mean that God forgives and expects me to forget too? What does it mean that God protects me? Yes. But when temptation comes, God wants me to, to, to survive but thrive and, and be like light in those temptations. Well, I'm working all that out, Jesus tells the story. I think what's beautiful about the story is that consistently you'll see Jesus, and this is what makes him a really good teacher. One of the many things. Stop it, right? He's always willing to meet his people where they are. And so he just dropped a lot of principles on them, okay? And now he's like, well, let me tell you a story. Listen, in this story, we all have this thing, right? Now, some of you do this thing called do not disturb at a certain time of night. If I did that in my family, I'd probably get this on before the morning, right? So do not disturb is like a great offense. And the thing is, I thought it was just my family, but I'm finding Gen Z. That's like another thing. Like the younger generation, if you text them and they like, you are do not disturb, they freak out on you. It's like, how dare you put me on do not disturb? I was like, I don't even know what that is. Like, my, I just walk into the building and it comes on. Like, seriously, when I walk into the church, my do not disturb comes on for work. And my one cousin was like, why do you put me on do not disturb? I was like, first of all, I was preaching a sermon. Second of all, like, what is this big deal? Like, when I can, I'll get back to you, right? Anyway. I try to get that off the chest. I try to get that off the chest, right? But we all have friends, right? Family. People close to us who will come to us in a moment that's entirely inconvenient for us. Who will come to us with a need, right, that we would rather wait till the morning, or wait till the next week, or, or wait till at least like, three days from now without trying to think and process, right? We all will have these friends at midnight. And I think the other thing that's even harder it's not to be, you're still in the positive in the next, right? When you're like, yeah, 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 I'm a liar. Well, people come to me all the time. You know, they, like, they, they need somebody to come to me. The harder part is to realize that at some point in life, <laughs> you will be the friend at midnight. You will be the one knocking. You will be the one asking. You will be the one in need for help that can't wait till the morning. Now, the background of this parable is that, you know, in that culture, hospitality is key, right? Like, hospitality is so key that, like, if you're at your house and someone came from out of town and you didn't have fresh bread for them, that was seen as a sign of not only disrespect or, or bad hospitality, that was seen as you were a bad person. Like, you were a bad person and you weren't willing to, to, to serve this person who just came into your house, right? So, so when he leaves as his friend at midnight, he said, well, I'm going to go my best friend knock on his door. He's going to have bread. And so what's interesting in the story is the, 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 the father is saying, you know, leave me alone. Let me try to sleep. Now, a lot of us maybe uh, are picturing our own houses. You know, maybe you have, like, your room and the kid's room and, like, everything spread out. And he's knocking downstairs. That's not how these houses work. Like, in fact, they're all probably in the same room. So you can see the father's concern. Those of you who are, like, have young kids or kids who are light sleepers, you can see the father's concern, right? Like, they just got to sleep and let Bruce tell me, right? Furthermore, for him to get up, it's to wake up everybody. Now, I don't know if you've ever lived in a house with these people. The people who, when they wake up, everybody got to get up. 
Oh, you can use your imagination. You got my mother's genes, people. I'm not going to tell you who that is in my house, right? But I'm just saying, like, some of us struggle through this, right? When you wake up, it's like, well, I'm up. Everybody got to be up, right? And, but, but it's even harder in this setting because you're all in the same room, okay? For me to step over the kids to open the door and go find your breath, I'm going to wake up the whole house. That's a problem. But guess what happens in the story? Shameless audacity. It's nothing and nothing and nothing. Now, the good news is, he's knocking so hard, everybody's up anyway. Right? Like, that's the good news, right? But what I love in this story is that the Greek seems to think that, like, he will either get up because of your persistence, or he will get up because he's changed into doing it. Now, in America, we have a different kind of team culture. In the West, we wield a heavy team culture. Right? Like, 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 the culture I have in America that we have to it is, like, not bullying, but peer pressure. It's a difference. Bullying makes someone feel bad and does something terrible. The other person sounds like you probably should have worried that shirt ever again. You know, it's just like, yeah, you can probably not do that, right? And like, you just look at it and you're like, you know what, you're right. I won't wear these pony sneakers anymore, right? Like, this is good. Like, like, there's a difference here. Like, that's how we, that's the quote I defined in America. But in a lot of these cultures, shaming was an actual tool they used to get you to do right. Now, that's like hard for us to comprehend, maybe. But, like, it's right here in the text, right? He will either do it out of friendship or out of literally shame. And the idea here is you're so persistent that they're going to come to help. Now, I hope all of us, when people come to us, we're helping because of friendship. And some of us, though, might be helping because of shame. But what I love about the story is that Jesus doesn't identify you. He doesn't even, like, demonize you for whichever one you are. So you know this stuff, right? Like your baby finally fell asleep. You don't want to get up. You don't understand, right? You don't understand anyone for it. But what he says is this, and I love this, like, because whether or not you're coming at midnight, this is Jesus' answer to you. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks to see the one who seeks find, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. I love that Jesus welcomes our midnight ask. I love that we're never an annoyance to our God. I love that He don't mind waking up with me all sleep anyway. Right? I love that He honors our persistence. And so that's what He, when He actually gives all these principles about prayer, right? Then He tells the whole story to just say that, like, I don't care if you get every aspect of prayer, but I need you to be persistent. I need you to be persistent. Because if you keep knocking, yes, I will hear you. You keep seeking, yes, I will find you. You keep knocking, yes, that door will be open to you. Jesus meets us where we are in prayer. Persistence sometimes is the key to opening that door. Then he tells another story. Or, or, or even more than is what they call it in the, the logic and the philosophy or whatever. And he says this. As parents, which of you would give your kids faith and not sin? Which of you would give your kids stone and not bread? And most of us would be like, yeah, that's wild, right? Like, why would I give my kids snakes? Yeah, I'm allergic to fish. So if you give me fish, you might as well give me a snake, right? It's like, they're both not going to do anything for me. They might, and they both might kill me, right? So it's like, either way. But that's why I think I like the bread and stone ones. I can relate to that one better, right? But the idea that Jesus is saying here is that, okay, as parents, as flawed as you are, you still want the best for your children. As flawed as you are, 
And the hard part for some of us as, as parents is that we don't even know how to give our kids a bath. We haven't learned those skills. We haven't seen those things, right? But deep down somewhere, we still want the best for our children. Parents, you give your kids eggs, and of course you know. And the point is making. And I know for some of us, it's hard because not all of us have been blessed with good parents. In fact, if you're blessed with good parents, when you go home this afternoon, give them a call and tell them you love them and tell them thank you for doing a good job. But if you are a parent, pray your kids think you're doing a good job. But if your parents aren't here, if your parents aren't here and their meeting is going on, you can still pray and thank God for them and the influence they've had on your life. But Jesus' point is like, listen, good parents, not all parents, I get it, but good parents, they work hard to give good gifts to their children. They're not perfect, but they can give good gifts. How much more can we expect from God? What I love about this passage is when I grew up hearing stuff like this, right? They didn't read the end of the passage. They would stop at how much more will your father in heaven give? They stop like this. And then they start telling you about worldly blessings that God has for you. And, and like, like stature and, and like socioeconomic status and, and bank account and, and all these things that God wants to bless you with. But that's not what Jesus said. In all of our praying, the only thing that Jesus promises in this passage is what? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? To Jesus, that's the ultimate prize. That's the ultimate gift. Not your financial blessings, not your health, not your education, not your socioeconomic status. The ultimate gift in all these things we have is the Holy Spirit. Now, for us, again, we take this for granted because when we become Christians, the Spirit lives inside of us. To the people hearing this, this was amazing. Because they believed three things. One, the Holy Spirit was God. Right? The Holy Spirit only came upon you to do one thing, right? Like David needs to kill the last Holy Spirit. It came upon you to do one thing. But three, only the holiest of the holy people got the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus is saying, if you just ask, I will give you the Holy Spirit. So we read that and we're just like, oh, cool. No, this is amazing. And that's what he wants them to know, is that, listen, it's not about how God will bless you here, 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 but if your heart is right, you're following God, and you're coming vulnerably to God, you will get the Holy Spirit. So how or what do we want to pull from all of this, right? And I want to kind of focus on certain things about prayer that I think all of us need to kind of leave with today. What does it mean to be a person who prays? Number one, prayer is invitational. It is not just a spiritual discipline. It is not just, oh, like something Christians do. It's an invitational. Meaning that God is inviting you to pray. God is asking you to come to Him. And the thing about God vulnerably asking you to pray, asking you to vulnerably come to Him, is that you have a choice. Whether or not to say yes to the invitation or to say no to the invitation. But we get nowhere in prayer if we don't accept God's invitation. The first thing about prayer I want us to hold on to is that it is God's invite to connect to you, to connect with you, to connect through you. It's an invitation. You have to choose whether or not you accept it. The second thing about prayer is that it's conversational. Conversational. 
Jermaine uh, Crazier Hall, who's a brilliant uh, theologian and scholar and preacher, she says, prayer is not just asking, but it's listening, receiving, and responding to the voice of God in our lives. You know what a conversation is? Two people have to communicate. A conversation means that you don't just speak, you have to take time to listen. And I love what, you know, Pastor Prentice said, what he said, but you have to listen, you also have to receive, and then you have to respond. I love that. Because I used to stop it just like prayer conversation. You got to listen to God. That's not fair. But you can listen to somebody and not receive anything they're saying. You can listen to somebody, receive what they're saying, and not respond to anything they're saying. And so what Pastor Hall, thank you, Hall reminds us is that prayer conversation. So yes, are you listening to God? Are you receiving what God says? Or are you responding to the voice of God in your life? Prayer is invitational. It's conversational. Prayer is personal. Another pastor, Terry Brown Douglas, says this. Prayer is not just about asking for things. It is about aligning our hearts with the heart of God and discerning how we can be agents of change in the world. Prayer is personal. One of my favorite phrases is Psalm 23. I love it because David only prays what he knows, right? David is like, oh my goodness, I'm a shepherd. And God's a shepherd. He's my shepherd. That's amazing. Oh my goodness, I'm a king. And God's a king. He's my king. That's amazing. Oh my goodness, I'm a warrior. Wait, but God doesn't different. How does he do this different? Oh, he doesn't kill people. But he chases us down until he captures us with his love. He's praying what we know. There's a sense of a personal relationship. You don't have to pray like everyone else prays. You don't have to memorize phrases. Just talk to God. Be yourself. How you see God is how you can relate and how you can connect with God. But the deeper thing about the personal of God is that you want God to be aligning your heart with God's heart. You want God to be aligning you with God's will in the world. If you want to be an agent of change in the world for God, you have to align with God's heart. Prayer is one of the tools you can do to get that. So prayer is invitational, it's conversational, it's personal. We've talked about this before. Prayer is vulnerable. One of my favorite people in the world, I can't wait to get to meet her and have her family, Lou Hamer. Family Lou Hamer loves her. I love this because she says, you can pray until you think. Unless you get up and try to do something, God is not going to put it in your life. And I love that. And the vulnerability of that is that God expects you to give, not just talk, not just listen, not just receive, but also to respond. You can come to God honestly and vulnerably, but if God moves you or, or urges you in a direction or shows you like, God expects you to follow through. Prayer is not just that you throw it up there and see what happens. Go to Sunday. Right? Like prayer is actually meant to be this conversation you have, this formation that happens, and God actually moving you to act. It's invitational, conversational, personal, vulnerable, and we talked about this too. Prayer is persistent. One of the first black female preachers was Jelena Lee, and she said this, I cannot forbear to cry out, Lord, help me. I felt some relief in prayer, but still my burden did not seem to be removed. But after wrestling and praying in agony of soul, with strong crying and tears, at length, I felt the mighty pain come over me. Persistent. 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 There's going to be things we pray for that takes years for God to answer. There's going to be people we pray for that take years for us to see any kind of change. There's going to be things in our lives that we pray for that we never get to answer the time of it. There's even going to be things we pray for that we do not get. 
we've got to keep praying. We've got to be persistent. We've got to keep knocking. And I don't know how long you've been knocking on the door. I don't know how long you've been praying for that person. I don't know how long you've been carrying this burden. But I know that even though you want it to be removed, like, like Jorena Lee said, I know you might be wrestling and praying in agony of your soul, crying with strong tears. But that change is going to come. And it's going to come when God says it's time. And when God says it's time, you will feel the change over you. You have to be persistent. And lastly, prayer is forming us. If we want to be aligned to the heart of God, talk to God. Listen to God. Learn from God. Be intentional about spending time with God. Be intentional about practicing the presence and being in the presence of God. I would tell people, no one starts off and say, like, I'm going to spend two hours in choir with God. Right? Like, like, don't do that to yourself. Like, start with what you can do. Right? And it might just be 30 seconds, 15 seconds, wherever you can start practicing the presence. And all I'm saying with practicing the presence, I'm not saying you have to do your own mantra and all that. All I'm saying is, like, can you sit in quiet all the things running through your head. Can you sit and just invite the Spirit in? And sometimes, the harder work is getting yourself to shut up and getting yourself to calm down. And so, for the, when I started doing this, the, 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 probably the first year, I would say, was just getting my ADD under control. Right? Was getting myself to calm down and actually just shut up and listen. Right? And, and so, sometimes it's going to look different. But here's the beautiful thing about it. You put the time in, you put the effort in, you put the work in, you will grow. You will grow. And the beautiful thing is like some days you'll say 15 minutes, and you may not get anything, and then you go through something else in that day and be like, I'm grateful for those 15 minutes. That was good. That was good breathing. You know what, you know? And some days you might close your eyes, it might happen right away that God's presence comes upon you, or you feel a word, and you hear a word from God, but you have to be intentional in practicing it. And if you want to become more and more like God, you have to spend time with God. Julius put another pastor said, let us go forward, trusting in God's promises, laboring for the salvation of souls and the advancement of the kingdom on earth. What does it mean to become more and more like God? I think it means going forward. I think it means trusting in God's promises. I think it means living and working for the salvation of souls. And I think it means advancing God's kingdom on earth. We can do none of that if we're not willing to spend time with our God. We can do none of that if we're not being formed by our God actively through prayer and other disciplines. But we can do none of that if we're not willing to accept this invitation. I'd like to invite the worship team back up. We're going to close um, singing a pretty familiar song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. N.T. Wright, who's a modern-day theologian, says that for a lot of us in prayer, it's important to remember that Jesus in the angle of God is his both father and friend. And I love that. He says, like a father, he cares for us. He's watching out for us. He's always going to do what's best for us. And Wright talks a lot about his own relationship with his children. And he says, I don't know where friendship, like where, where fatherhood stopped being the, the, the top thing and friendship started being possible. And he talks a lot about how one of the, the joys that we have, the gifts that we have, is that God, our Father, also deeply desires to be our friend. And I love that because that's not a way, even though I grew up singing this song, that's not my default way of thinking about God. You know, my default is Father. 
But what does friendship with God actually look like? Your friend is someone you want to spend time with, someone you're intentional about, someone you want to dwell with and be in their presence and be formed by them. But as we sing this song today, may we be reminded that yes, God is all-powerful, but He's also right next to you. That yes, God is working in ways you can't see, He's also working in ways you will see. And yes, yes, we can come to God in prayer to praise God who already is coming to us. Amen? I can invite any of the pastors in the room up front as well. We'd love to pray for you um, about anything you have going on or maybe a response to the service or anything else. Or maybe there's someone on your mind that you've been praying for. We'd love to pray for that as well. But as we sing this song, may we be reminded that the God of this universe just deeply, deeply desires to be our friend too. Let's stand thank God.
I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of His glorious riches He may strengthen you with power through His Holy Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Our Father, our God, we thank you that we can come to you. Lord, we pray that today is a chance to, to accept a new your invitation for us in prayer. Lord, we pray that today is a chance to, to learn what it means to really commune with you, to have a conversation with you, to listen, to receive, and to respond. Lord, we thank you that the prayer forms us and makes us more and more like you. So Lord, teach us how to practice presence with you. Teach us how to be intentional. Teach us how to be persistent, Lord. And Lord, help us to know and yes, it's not about what we see or what we don't see. It's about the one who sees us. It's not about what we have or what we don't have. It's about the one who has us. So, Lord, we pray that as we go, that we may be reminded that you have reached out your hand and invited us in. That you have opened your arms and invited us in. That you have come down from heaven to invite us in. So may we be people of prayer. May we be reliant on you. And may we become more and more like you in all that we say and all that we do. May we live, may we love like our Jesus lives in love. And Holy Spirit, may we surrender every day to God's love. In the holy and precious name we pray. Amen? God bless you all. Have a good week.